Everybody good. It's good to see all y'all wonderful faces. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Glory Jesus. to your name. Hallelujah. So we are going to talk about Sardis, right, in Revelation, uh, which is known as the Dead Church, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot of motivational speakers out there, and uh, one in particular that I like, I haven't listened to him in a, in a while, though. Uh, his name is Eric Thomas. And, uh, you know, he, he gets to travel all over the world, motivating people, um, businesses, uh, professional teams, college teams, uh, both men and women, high schools, churches. He's also a, a minister at his church. You know, one thing he talks about is the fact that, and he, he's a multimillionaire. One thing he talks about is this. If he can make it, anybody can make it. All right? And, and the reason why he says that is, is because... His mom had him when, I think she was like 14 or 15, and he got kicked out of the house when he was 16 due to his behavior. He was homeless, eating out of trash cans, high school dropout, you know, um, went back, earned his uh, GED, I believe, but he ended up getting there, earning his bachelor's, his master's, and a PhD, right? So that's why he says, you know, and he grew up in Detroit, right? So, which was a rough area. So, statistically, he wasn't supposed to make it, right? And one thing, the common thing, he goes around and he tells this story all the time, right? No matter what level of class of people or who they are, he tells this story because, like I said, if he can make it, anybody can make it. And one thing he says this is the fact that most people don't make it because they become complacent, right? And the fact that he says, you know, even when he's talking to college athletes, he said, every one of y'all are talented, but talented, but the one who's the, the, the ones who are going to thrive even the better are those who are going to work hard. Right? Who are not going to just rest and just be happy on getting a scholarship and get into college, but it's going to continue to pursue what their goals are, what their dreams may be. Right? So when I was deploying to um, Iraq, I think I talked about this a while ago. You know, as we go through the training process, they show us a whole bunch of videos. And they show us videos of, uh, basically, American servicemen getting killed by, you know, the enemy, snipers. Basically getting sniped off by a sniper. And they do it so the image stays in our head so we know it's real, right? And we can learn why. And the common theme in it is the fact that they were always complacent. Meaning, they will always stand still, right? They, they teach us to move around, right? Teach us to move around and not be, because it's harder to hit a moving target than one that's just standing still. And every last one of them were just all standing there, either talking or whatever, and they forgot where they were. And, you know, going back to Eric Thomas years ago, well, not yet, but yeah, I guess it was years ago, in 2019, I was listening to him in the car, and the Lord said, Lord spoke to me and said, replay what he just said. I said, okay. Because I heard it the first time. <laughs> and I replayed it. And he talked about one thing he said is complacent. And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's his church. We become complacent. Right? So now you put two and two together. We become complacent. Just like those servicemen, we can become dead. When we, go through, when we just end up going through the motions, we could become stagnant, 
right? And that's easy for us to do. And there's probably been a time where we all been guilty of it. Well, I can say I have, right? I'll speak for me. <laughs> uh, where I have over the years in my walk with the Lord, sometimes I have become stagnant, right? I, you know, I may do the same things or whatever it may be. It, it could be anything. But we have to be on guard with that. Because, see, a lot of times, you know, when we come to church, we, we come to church to, first and foremost, to hear the word, right? We come to get taught the word. We come to do corporate worship. We come to fellowship. We come also to encourage one another, right? These, these are all things that we that are talked about in the New Testament, right? And also, one thing we also do that, you know, we fail to mention a lot of time is come together corporately in prayer, right? So, but, you know, a lot of times today we join churches for the wrong reasons. Right? We join churches to make friends. We join churches to attend social gatherings. Right? That's not the purpose of the church. And we end up as church, and I'm saying we because we're all part of church, right? You know, we, 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 we tend to recruit people to whatever house of fellowship it is for the wrong reasons. But we, we have to be careful of that because that's not the purpose of the church. And sometimes we join a church, often now, today we join a church because... They're doing something, and we feel we don't know what we're supposed to be doing, and we feel like we have to be a part of something. So we join a church, whether it be outreach or whatever it is, right? Or, like I said, a meeting, social, may not necessarily be a social gathering. It may just be um, a group ministry that gets together in the house, right? Um, so we join those things. But I reflected this week that there is nothing in the Bible that tells us that we have to get together as a group to go do things, right? That's one of the common mistakes that we make. So, you know, if God's calling each and every, any one of us to do something, we don't need necessarily a church back. Yeah, we'll be there to support you, you know, whether it be financially, prayer, whatever it is. But we don't join churches just to get involved in outreach or just to go witnessing and things like that, right? Because if God called us, those are things we should do. Right, and, and, I refl and even with the early church, because even when I was thinking about that, I thought about the early church, how they got together, and they sold things, and it, but that was for to take care of the people within the church that didn't have, right? So, when we see throughout the Bible, we didn't see Elijah <laughs> with a whole group of people, nor did we see Elisha with a whole group of people, right? He didn't take the whole, you know, he, he was in charge of the school of the prophets, but he didn't take them with him to do his ministry. All right, let's fast forward to the New Testament. All right? Jesus, when he sent the, the 12 out, he sent them out what? Two by two. All right? When he sent the 70 out, he sent them two by two. All right? So he didn't send them all out as a group like that. All right? So even after the resurrection and the apostles went their separate ways to do what the Lord was calling them to do, they all went separate. They didn't all just hang together. So even James, when he stayed in Jerusalem with the church, guess what? He had other people there. All right? So even if you just take Jesus and the disciples, the 4,000 and the 5,000 that was fed, besides women and children, right? That's still a low number, 12 to 5,000 people, right? <laughs> that, that's still a low number. So we, 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 have to, we have to seek God out on what he's calling each and every one of us to do, and we have to do it and not, not be afraid of, of doing what he calls us to do, ultimately, right? 
So we don't want to uh, intermingle and do the wrong things. So I, you know, there was somebody I spoke with a few weeks ago, and I don't know if I mentioned it here, but I know I told uh, a couple people where, you know, he was joining a church for outreach. And I said, well, you don't have to join a church for outreach. You've been doing it long enough. Just go do it. <laughs> you know, and, and, but, you know, that was his comfort zone. But again, where's the spirit of the Lord at in that? Right? So we, 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 have to, we have to be mindful of those things. Because what happens, if we get amongst a whole group of people, now we can start to get complacent and not realize it. So you even think back to when we were at the house. Right? Some Wednesday we had, what, 24, 25 people in the house. And guess what? When we talked about the prayer walks, some people were like, I'm going to go. I want to go. Some people didn't go. Right? <laughs> And then some people did go, right? And then when we went, then they, we went the following week. They, um, well, we, we went as a group, multiple people, maybe double digits. And then we went the following week. And then we had less people, right? And then even less people, right? To the, to the point was, it was just me, Marsha, and Marie, right? <laughs> that's it, right? But that's how God probably designed it, right? Because I'm not going to say everybody, but some of them people came out looking for one thing, looking for the supernatural to take place. But actually, the supernatural took place when they weren't there. So it reminded me when I was reflecting back on that this week, even with Gideon, right? He started out with an army in Judges chapter 7. He started out with an army of 32,000 and ended up with 300, right? And, and, and in that, he had to go against a, the army of the enemy of 125,000 people, 125,000. Did I say that correct? 125,000 people. That's it. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Right? But God wanted the glory. God was doing it. See, sometimes when we get together as groups, then it becomes we did it instead of he did it. Amen. Right? I guarantee you, if you look, for those that uh, scroll social media, you look at churches that go and do stuff, say, oh, we were doing this, we were doing that. And then at the end, oh, God is good. Right? Because it, when you go out, it becomes about what we did. But it's ultimately about what God did. And see, even if we had that group of people, you think God would have set it up to where the governor's wife? That wouldn't happen. Right? Not with a whole group of people there. No, but God moved. Right? Matter of fact, I wasn't even there that day. Right? But look what God did. See, it's about doing what he's called us to do. Right? And then sometimes it's going to be in small numbers. Right? Sometimes it may be by you by yourself. That's okay. Right? We can't be afraid because ultimately we're never by ourselves. Amen. Right? Because it's always us and Jesus Christ. Right? That's right. Yeah. No matter where we go, just like I, just in my prayer, when we show up, He showed up. Amen. Right? No matter where we're at. And we always have to be mindful of that. Right? Amen. Amen. So why did I bring that up? <laughs> let's see how that fits in the story. So let's talk about Sardis. Right? So Sardis... If y'all haven't, well, if y'all ever see a map of all these seven churches in Asia, it's a, it goes into a circle as, as we go around, right? goes into a circle. So Sardis was about 40 miles from Diatar, right? Now, we don't know for sure who started the church. Some say Paul. Most believe it was John, right? Regardless of who it is, we know whether it was Paul, whether it was John, the church was on fire at one point. Whoever started it, they were on fire. So, what else do we know about Sardis? Sardis 
their trades were wool, uh, linen, and uh, they specialized just like with the rest of the city's idolatry. Right? <laughs> Sardis was actually a very rich city, right? Because along their riverbanks, they found uh, gold there. So Sardis had a king one time, and uh, he, he was one of the, actually, Sardis was one of the richest cities in that area at that time. And they were the first to mint gold and silver coins. They just had, they, they were just a wealthy city, right? So they didn't have much need or much help of having other nations come and supply them with stuff because of the gold that was there, right? So what do we know about Sardis? So Sardis, they had a king named Croesus, and they had a formidable army of, of military, right? Because Sardis sat on a hill. Right? I, I forgot, it might have been about a thousand feet up or something like that. But not only being on the hill, Sardis also sat behind a citadel, meaning uh, like a, almost like a castle, a wall. So they didn't have to worry about the enemy coming in so much trying to attack them. Why? Because it would be a tall tax for the enemy to, first they would have to go up the hill, then they would have to scale the wall. So by that time, they're going to they're gonna be seen, right? So... What, what that caused was the king increases to actually become complacent. So what he did was instead of having a watch at nighttime, he removed the watch because they were no longer afraid of people trying to come in and attack them. So when the Persians were starting to take over, uh, King Cyrus, one of his leaders said, hey, I will give a reward to anybody that could figure out how to get up there. So one of the soldiers just watched, just watched, 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 watched. And then he saw how something was dropped and how a couple of soldiers came down from Sardis through a back secret trail. So guess what he did? He told everybody else, right? So they waited until nighttime, and they snuck up that hill, climbed up the wall, and they defeated Sardis. Why? Because they weren't watching no more, right? That's going to play into how we get to Revelation chapter 3, right? So remember that story. So when Cyrus took over, what he did was he wanted to make sure that the men, that they wouldn't rebel no more, right? So he, he banned weapons from there, and he basically, I think I mentioned that, he emasculated the men, right? He had them play stringing instruments, had turned them into dancers, right? Yeah, he turned them into dancers and made some of them take certain trades, right? So now let's go to Revelation chapter 3. six verses here. So Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and seven stars. So let's stop right there. They, this, for those that don't remember, this was actually said again in uh, first time in Revelation chapter 1. They already knew once they received this letter, who was speaking? Jesus Christ. Why? Let's turn to um, Isaiah chapter 11. And I talked about this when uh, we were in Revelation chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 11. And remember, the Old Testament was already written at this time. 
So even when Jesus walked, he had the whole Old Testament. That's how he was able to quote the Old Testament. And Isaiah, when we read in Acts, when Philip came across the eunuch, what was he reading? Isaiah. Yeah. So how do they know they're talking about Jesus? Did this come from Jesus? All right. So he says, he who has the seven spirits of God. Isaiah 11, verse 2 says this. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So the spirit of the Lord is one. The spirit of wisdom and understanding brings us to two and three. The spirit of counsel and might brings us to five. And the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Right? So it's the seven spirits of God. So he's already describing Jesus here in Isaiah. So when Jesus introduces himself, as they know he's talking about Jesus. So now, let's go, let's go back to Revelation 3. So we talked about the seven stars from um, chapter 1, how that's really the, the, the pastors, the ministers, the elders, the bishops there. So if he's talking to the, the pastors, guess what? He's also talking to the church. Because as these letters are read by the pastors, they should be reading it to the church, the congregation. All right. So he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So we've seen already that some the, the, the churches that we already read about, the four churches we read about previously, that there were some not so nice things going on there in, in some of these churches, right? And Jesus was holding them accountable to these things. But even though he has these pastors in their hands, and even though they may not be doing it right, they still, he's still in control of the church, ultimately. Right? So that's why I say, regardless of what a pastor does, Jesus is in control. One thing I forgot to mention is, one thing that's different here with Sardis, compared to the four churches in uh, Revelation chapter 2, Jesus doesn't commend them in anything. He doesn't commend them right off the bat. The other churches, he starts commending before he gets to his butt. Jesus immediately starts with the butt. All right? All right, so let's go back to the verse 1. I know your works. All right, so let's start with that. That's the same thing he said to the other churches. I know your works. Right? So whether it's your works of love, outreach, whatever it may be. And one thing I neglected to say is, uh, in reference to works, is this. Our works can be our prayers. So when we come together on Wednesdays in corporate prayer, that is still a work. When we're at home and we're praying to the Lord or doing our prayer time, that's still a work. When we're out there prayer walking, that's still a work, right? We don't often see prayer as work sometimes because it's one of the least things, if not the least thing, that most churches and Christians do. We don't pray a lot. So no matter what church we've been in, like I say I've been in, when it comes to prayer service, that's the least attended service. No matter how big the church is. And I, and I believe our last church, they would get together corporately just once a month. All right? That's not a good thing. All right? That's not a good thing. All right. So, I know your works. That you, you, that you have a name, that you are alive. So, that word alive means strong, powerful, full of vigor. In other words, they have a good reputation among the people. So, this is a church where you show up to Sardis, guess what? People want to come and visit that church. Because they have a good reputation. They have a good name. People are watching over People are watching them and they're like, hey, Lord, you got a good reputation. You, 
The people see you as full of vigor. The people see you as being on fire. But here's their but. He's saying that you have a name that you are alive. He's not saying I'm giving you a name. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. That word dead means lacking power, inoperative. So as the people, they see them as alive, Jesus sees them as dead. Right? So there's churches that, so there was a church in uh not too long ago, probably a couple years ago. It was known to be alive. It was known to be a thriving church. When people show if you were a Christian and you went to this particular city, New York City, you would want to attend this church. Because it had a name, it had a name for uh praise and worship. It was a church where the line was going out the door down the block, around the corner, just to get it. And there's plenty of news stories about it, right? And they talk about when you get there, it was almost like people trying to get into a club. That's how long the lines were, just to get in there. And when you get in there, guess what? It was just like a nightclub. <laughs> you had lights. <laughs> you had laser lights. You had smoke. You had music, right? And, and they're, But they're singing Christian music. And then you would hear a priest's word, right? But eventually, come to find out, pastor was having an affair, right? But, see, this is why you always follow the fruit, right? Because pastor had an affair, everybody felt sorry for the pastor's wife, right? But she kind of sold into it, right? Because not too long before that, they had a women's conference, and they had somebody, they had the youth pastor dressed up as, I guess it's some naked cowboy, something like that, performing, while all these so-called Christian women were screaming and shouting. Right? But they had a, a name for being alive, but yet they were dead. Because guess what? There was no Christ there. Right? So there was another church, and I can mention this pastor's name because he's dead. Earl Paul. We used to watch him. Right? In the land of Georgia. Thriving church. Right? When you listen to him, you go, priest word. And uh, come to find out, for years, he had been having affairs with women. His assistant pastor was his nephew. Well, supposed to be his nephew. Then he came out that he was actually his nephew. It was He was actually the dad because he had an affair. But it had the appearance of a church that was alive, but it was dead. Always follow the fruit. Always follow the fruit. Right? So Sardis was no different. Sardis, you couldn't tell the difference between the citizens in the city of Sardis and the church. See, when we as Christians, we show up, somebody should be able to see the difference in us. Amen. Right? They may talk about us, but the one thing they should say is even what other religions will say about Jesus. Good person, good man, good woman. Right? But we can be our own worst enemy. We can be our own worst enemies with, with certain things. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Alright, so dead. Dead means, indicates... No struggle, right? Dead means it indicates no struggle, no fight. Because if you're dead, now you're not facing persecution no more. Right? So I'm we've been in the Lord long enough where we've heard ministers say that if you're not facing some sort of struggle or something, you may be doing something wrong. Right? And that could be because you think about Smyrna. Right? They were just serving the Lord. But sometimes we as Christians today we bring it upon our own self. Right? Because sometimes we want the struggle so bad, 
we cause a rift sometimes and, and not even realize it. And, and, you know, we laugh, but look, that's how I was really during COVID. All right? That, and, and that, that's the greatest, best example I can think of because we created a story with a lot of things. Right? And, and to the point where the church became the most hostile. Right? Because, oh, you can't tell me not to close my church. Well, they're closing everything else. So it wasn't just about the church. They had NBA games, but the fans couldn't go in there. The movie theaters were shut down, but we were never thinking about those people who weren't getting paid. It was all about our own selfish needs. But we can't tell us because it is our religious right. It is our religious freedom. Well, let me tell you something. I'm pretty sure I said this before. When you defend religious freedom, you're defending every false religion out there. Because it's not about religious freedom. It's about Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ. That's all it is. That's all it ever will be. Jesus Christ. If you defend, you hear Christians talking about religious freedom, you're defending the Hindus, you're defending the Muslims, and you're wrong. Because Jesus wasn't about that. It's about Jesus. He said, if I be lifted up, that's what it's about. Right? But we became hostile when we should have been the most loving during that time. Have you, I thought about this. You know, even with the nation of Islam, they, they used to talk a lot. Have you noticed they've been quiet lately? They really haven't been saying much lately. But the church has been doing a lot of talking, creating a lot of animosity, a lot of hostility. Right? And yeah, we're creating some we're creating the wrong thing. And it's gonna backfire on the church because eventually we're gonna reap what we sow. And yes, I say we because we're part of the church. So when we read in Daniel, when Daniel prayed and he went to seed for Israel, he included himself, even though he was always on up and up. Right? The Bible doesn't mention anything negative that Daniel did because he he didn't really do anything negative that that's recorded in the Bible, right? I'm sure he made mistakes, but it just wasn't recorded in the Bible, right? But when he prayed for Israel, he would say we, he would say us, Amen. right? Because guess what? We're still a part of the body. So if even though it may not be us that does something wrong, it's still representative of us, right? So we don't just pray just, hey, them, but it's also us, right? So we have to intercede for the church, and that's why it's, it, it's vital and it's important for that. All right, let's go to uh, verse 2. So I'm sure what happened with Sardis was they started to get people, they, yes, the church got complacent, but they started to get people to intermingle. And see, Jesus warns us of that in Matthew 13 with the wheat and the tares. Right? That's why I say, follow the fruit. Follow the fruit. Don't go by somebody telling you they're a Christian, even if they're sitting next to you. <laughs> you follow the fruit. Because the fruit will tell it all. And that's what Jesus tells us to do. Follow the fruit. Because if the fruit is right, then they're right. Right? But if the fruit is right and good, guess what? Now they can spread. And our fruit has to be good. Because what happens is we get intermingled with these tares, these weeds, and they'll just sit. And guess what? We've had some. Right here in New Life Kingdom. We had some. Thankfully they love. But all we got to do, like I thought, all we got to do is just keep giving them the word. Keep giving them the word. Eventually they're going to get up and they're going to grow. Right? Just like I talked about, was it last week I talked about Jezebel? Now, if the word was going forth, that Jezebel spirit wouldn't have been out of state. 
as long as it did and create the damage that it did. Right? But there became compromise in there. Right? Compromise leads to complacency, which eventually leads to sleep and death. Amen. Alright, so let's go to uh, verse 2. He says, to be watchful. That word watchful means give strict attention to. Be cautious. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. Strengthen means to make stable, make firm, make constant. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. In other words, all hope is not lost. There's still something there. Right? But it's very shallow. Right? It's, it, it's, it's not taking deep breaths. Right? It's on the verge of totally dying. Right? So Jesus is saying that something is still there. And it needs to come back to life. Right? So just like we may see somebody that's dying and we try to resuscitate them. That's what Jesus is trying to do here. He's trying to make them alive again. Why? Because he's warning them. Right? Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Meaning not complete. Verse 3. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. So remember how you have received the word when John came. Paul, remember how you received the word and you heard it. And you received salvation. You were full of joy. You were full of vigor. You were full of life. Hold fast to that. And repent. Don't grow complacent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So, remember what I remember at the beginning? I talked about the citadel, the enemy sneaking up. Because they weren't watching. So Jesus is saying, because everybody there that lived, ever lived in Sardis knew that story. Right? So he's saying, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. So we know you don't, a thief doesn't catch somebody that's alert and that's on watch by surprise. More than likely, a thief is going to come when you're not home. <laughs> right? Or when you're not paying attention. When you're sleeping. Right? Let's turn to uh, Matthew 24. Verse 42. Matthew 24, verse 42 to 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that is, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you would not expect. You do not expect. So we always have to be ready. We can't sleepwalk. We can't, like Eric Thomas said, become complacent. Because what? When we become complacent, we become lethargic. Right? So a lethargic means a state of tiredness, sleepiness. Right? We have to be on guard of that. Because what can happen? When we become lethargic, it's usually followed by depression. But here's the thing. What precedes someone becoming lethargic usually is hurt. Think about it as Christians who have been hurt in churches. What usually happens? They either don't go back <laughs> or they go to another church and they just sit there. So we have to be on guard of those things. We have to be vigilant against those things. Because regardless of 
how or what somebody does to us, we have to stay connected to Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who has us in his hands. Right? Regardless of what somebody does to us. And it's like I said, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, if somebody does something wrong, we're going to go to that person. That, that's, that's what the word says to do. But we don't do that. Right? We just leave hurt. And then we start to sleepwalk. And we become tired and we become placent. And then now, like First Peter says, the, the enemy can come take us out. Why? Because we're not being vigilant. Right? Because the, the adversary is seeking who he can devour. So when he sees us as Christians moping, here he comes as a sniper. Right? And it could be anything. Right? Doesn't mean he has to kill you. Because actually you you're more valuable to him alive that way. Right? But going back to the thief, the thief comes for what? They're valuable things. Right? A thief, the, let's even take a, uh, let me think of an expensive animal. Let's say, you know, they got these French bulldogs now, certain colors that they cost thousands of dollars. I wouldn't get one. I think those things are ugly. <laughs> but, you know, they, they cost thousands of dollars. But you think, if a thief came in there, you think if that dog was dead, you think the thief was going to take it? No, because it's no longer valuable. Right? It's no longer valuable. But if it's alive, it, it, it's valuable. So when Jesus comes back for his church, he's coming back for those of value. Right? And value, not that one's more anointed than the other. No, value to him. Those who have served him during this time. Those who didn't put the world before him. That's what he considers valuable. Right? So we have to be on guard ahead of thought, but it's living mind. Alright, so let's go back to Revelation 3. Alright. So what Sardis became was, like I said, and uh we read in verse 1, they 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 had a a reputation, or verse 2, to be alive, but they were dead. So, just like in 2 Timothy, he said, see the first 2 Timothy, where they had a form of godliness, but there was no power there. Right? So people, so we, we, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like that. But if we allow ourselves to become complacent, then we become dead. Look at verse 4. See, all is not lost. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So in other words, even though he says a few names, that means there was a whole lot of other names that defiled themselves. They were dead. But you had a few names that were still holding on. right? Whether or not they were in the house church, whether or not they were in the main church, they were still praying and still holding on. And they were still seeking God. See, sometimes we can find ourselves in a place I'll tell another story. There was uh, somebody I talked to a few weeks ago, and they were talking about the church, and uh, I don't know what the church is, or uh, the name of the church or anything like that. So I don't want y'all thinking, oh, it's a church, but no. <laughs> but he was talking about the church, and uh, he was talking about the things that were going on there, and he felt that, you know, he should be, the Lord was speaking to him about a role in the church. But he talked about how the praise and worship team pretty much left the church. A lot of young people left. And they went from maybe about 150 people to maybe about 12 or 13. Right? 
And he's sharing me, he's telling me this story, and I said, well, it may not be for you to leave. I said, it may be time for you just to be praying. It might be a season for you to pray. So his eyes widen, because, you know, sometimes, a lot of times when people tell other pastors that, the pastor's going to try to recruit them. Right? I said, no, you might need to pray. It might be your season to pray for that pastor and what's going on there. And he said, you know what? I didn't think about that. You might be right. I didn't think about that. Right? So it's a season of prayer that we have to be mindful of. Right? We always have to be in praying. That goes back to the works. That goes back to the works. It's a works that is not valued. See, the, the most important thing we can do is pray. That's the most important thing we can do is pray. And I'm sure Sardis, they were not praying. So in other words, what happened with Sardis was, in our human bodies, our blood gives us life. As Christians, the Spirit of Christ gives us life. Amen. There was no Spirit of Christ there. So it became dormant. It became dead. Have you ever been into a church that they don't even acknowledge the Holy Spirit? It's dead, right? It, it's dead because it's just somebody talking. Right? So it's different when the Holy Spirit is in charge and the Holy Spirit is, is, is being acknowledged. There's total difference in that. Alright, so let's go to verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will blot out his name. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name. I thought something sound right. I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, again, it's for Christ we live and for Christ we die, right? The moment we allow ourselves to get complacent, we'll be like Sardis. Because that's what Sardis did. Sardis started to intermingle. See, I can envision Sardis where you probably had to pass the Sardis, probably trying to run for office somewhere, right? Because, either, look, you're either going to pass them or you're going to run for office. Which one? Did, did, did the Holy Spirit make you an overseer of his body? Or did he tell you to run for this or that? You can't do both because guess what? There's going to be a compromise. There's going to be a compromise somewhere. So we see a lot of ministers today running for office, <coughs> running for positions, running for this, running for that. And, and to the natural eye, we're like, oh, that's good to be a man of God. In it. No, well, first of all, again, did the Holy Spirit call you to be an overseer? Well, she doesn't mean a Christian can't go into that position, but it may not be for that pastor to go in that position. Right? So those, these are things we have to be on guard. But ultimately, what did Sardis in was the complacency. And I keep coming back to that word complacency. Because if we allow ourselves to get complacent, going through the same routines, going through life, then the enemy's going to get us. He, 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 he's going to be on attack. So we have to be prayed up. right? Because sometimes we can go through a period of time where we don't feel like praying. And then we may not pray. Because we got this going on, that going on. But if we pray, everything else will sort itself out. Right? And, and it's not that the things will change, but our heart and our mindset and our eyes will change on what we're looking at. Compared to if we're not praying, now we start focusing on the situations and the things going on around us. Right? We, we, we have to be loving towards people. We have to be loving towards one another. Right? We have to be loving towards our enemies. Right? And that's not what's being talked about in the church as a whole nowadays in America. 
we get taught to fight against the enemies. No. What example are we setting? It's just, you know, we God, we know he was a Christian. Gandhi, he said this, he said, you know, these Christians, Christians in the Bible, yeah, they were good people. These Christians, he's dead now, but these Christians around here, no, they're not good people. Why? Because they were always fighting. Right? Arguing. Things like that. That's not the way Christ wants us to come. Because that's not how he came in that aspect. Right? Go back to James and John when they wanted to destroy the Samaritans. Jesus said that's not how he, that's not why he came. You don't know what spirit that you are of. Right? But it's the spirit of love. It doesn't make sense to the natural world. So for those Christians that it doesn't make sense, that probably means that they're carnal. They're natural. And that's, again, we have to be on guard from being carnal and natural. We're going to come to that soon in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians when we get there. Right? The, the, that, that causes the, the division, the bickering, and things like that. No, but if we stay prayed up, right, if we're worshiping him, now our hearts change. And again, our outlook on the things that are going on in this world, because, like I said before, the devil's the ruler of this world. Right? But we're supposed to be the light. We don't want our lampstand to go out. <laughs> we don't we don't want we, we want to continue to shine and be bright and 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 be that salt bringing the flavor out of everything else that's in this world. Right? So now when people see us, they're like, man, what keeps you strong? What keeps you faith? Now that's a window for us to, to share about Jesus Christ. Amen. Right? But if we're walking around and we're in our flesh and we're angry and guess what when I but even if we talk about Jesus they ain't gonna hear it. <laughs> they are not gonna want to hear it. Right? They're like, I don't want that. And now that leaves room for another religion to come in. Something like Jehovah Witnesses, because they they're not there knocking on doors. They're out there knocking on doors. But we have to be on guard against complacency. We don't want to die. We don't want spiritual death is what I want to say. Right, so long as, and see, Jesus specializes in bringing dead things back to life. So that's why he was born in Sardis. Even though they were dead, he was trying to bring them back to life. He was trying to resuscitate them. Right? So even if, as Christians, we may feel dead, but Jesus can bring us back to life. All we have to do is pray for him. And see, no, no, we have to do what God's called us to do. Nobody in here is more anointed than anybody. Right? That's, not, that's not the Jesus word. That's not the Jesus way. So we, we've been duped into thinking, oh, this person. No, I talked about it before. If we all have the Holy Spirit in us, how is one more anointed than the other? Mm -hmm. Right? We just, we may not all be called into pastoring. We may not all be called as a prophet. But we all called to ministry. And we all called to do what we're supposed to do. And y'all hear me say there's no such thing as a regular church goal. So we should never be a regular church goal. Right? So we all have to find out what our calling is. Right? And I get tired of people saying, yeah, I know I'm called into the ministry, but I, no, stop. Then you're not. Either you, are, you, either you are or you're not. Either you're going to do it or you're not. Because don't tell me you call, but you're not doing it, but then you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. It doesn't work like that. Amen. So you better find out what you're called to do. That's right. See, that's playing games with the Lord. You either in or you out. It's like I said, you either all in or you out. 
And see, regardless of the situation, regardless of what the society is going on, Jesus is not concerned about that. Right? He wants us to stand strong just like Smyrna. Right? Regardless of what they were going on, regardless of what people were doing, even unto death, he wants us to stay strong. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'll stop right there. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you, Lord God. We praise you. We give you honor. Lord God, we thank you, Father God, for your word, Father God. We thank you to, for the letters and revelation, oh, Heavenly Father God, that you have warned us as a body of believers, oh, Heavenly Father God, and you continue to warn us, Lord God, and educate us, Lord Jesus, to do your will, Lord God, to stand strong, stand firm, Lord God, to, to, to be your lampstand in this dark world, oh, Heavenly Father God. In the name of Jesus, for if we all do our part, Lord God, we will be a functioning body, Lord God. Lord God, we'll be just like that young athlete, Father God, that's strong, that's agile, that's fast, Father God. In the name of Jesus, that we will do our part, Lord God, that even in the midst of this dark world, this world will still shine brightly if we as a church do what we're supposed to do, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Father God. So I'm praying, Lord God, that you will help each and every one of us, Lord God. To, to find what you're calling us to do, oh, Heavenly Father God. Help us, Lord God, not to just wait on somebody else to do what you call us to do and just do it, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Father God. We pray right now, Father God, that you will protect us, Father God. Watch over us, Lord God. Protect us from dangers seen and unseen, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord God, for giving us another chance, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God, I'm praying, Father God, that we will not be complacent in our walk, Lord God. But, Lord God, we will have that zeal, Father God, that Jesus had and he showed when he walked the earth. That Paul had, Father God, that Phineas had in the Old Testament, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Father God, help us, Lord God, to rely upon you, Father God, and not our own strength, Father God. Help us to, to, to look towards you, Lord Jesus. Yes. Our strength from which cometh our help, Lord God. And help us not focus on our weaknesses and our inadequacies. Father God, I pray that you would take our weaknesses and make them strengths, Lord God. In the name of the things that we may worry about, the things that we may be afraid of, Lord God. Give us the strength and the faith, Father God, to overcome those things, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Father God. We just thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. We thank you and we honor you, Father God. So yes. we pray even now, Father thank God, even Jesus. as we go through this upcoming week, Father yes, God, Lord Jesus. that you will be with us, oh, Father God, for we're, yes. we're not promised tomorrow, Lord God. Thank so I Jesus. pray, Father God, that each and every one of us live for today, Lord God. Yes. Live you, for today Jesus. to please you, Lord God, in the name of in Jesus, name Father of God. Jesus. So help us to watch. Thank help you, us to stand God. guard, Father God, God, that we won't be overtaken by the schemes and the plans by the enemy, O oh, Heavenly Jesus. Father God. In the name of Jesus, Father God. Help us to walk in love, Father God. Help us to guard our eye gates and our ear gates and what comes out of our mouths, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Father God. Help us to speak faith, Father God. Help us to be honest and truthful, Father God. In the name of Jesus. Help us to speak your word, Father God. For your word is alive, Father God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. I just thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Father God, for the faithfulness that is in here, Lord God. Yes, in the Jesus. name of Jesus, Father God, 
I pray that you continue to bless each and every one of us, Lord God. Yes, I pray, Father God, even for our family members, our loved ones that don't know you, Lord God. Yes, Lord we're praying, Father God, that we will be the example. We will set the example for them, Father God. In humility, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, I pray for their salvation, Lord God. I pray that their hearts will be open to receive, Father God. Even, Father God, our neighbors that don't know you, Father God. And that may irritate us, Lord God. Help us to love them, Lord God. Help us to love our co-workers, our supervisors, O oh, Heavenly Father God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, for your word tells us to love our enemies, Lord God. Help us to love our enemies, Lord God. Not speak against them, Heavenly Father God. So we thank you, Father God. We thank you, Father God, for blocking the distractions from our life, Lord God. Thank you for ordering our steps, Father God. Thank you for giving us good health, good strength, and peace, O oh, Heavenly Father God. In our hearts and our minds, Lord God. We thank you, we glorify you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.